Welcome again, humans. Here's another segment in this series on the dialogue of Catherine of Siena. You'll notice if you've been listening to the first two that it's following a pattern. And basically I'm responding each time to the previous one. While reflecting on my last episode, I realized that there may be some objections to what I said last time about weeping over the sins of others. Some of you might be out there thinking, well, there's so many sins around, what am I going to do? Spend the rest of my life crying? There's got to be something more that I could do. Or you may be thinking, well, it doesn't really matter to me what sins they create. As you yourself said, I shouldn't be concerned with it. Here's a response from the dialogue. It is indeed true that the devil never sleeps but teaches you, if you are careless, to sleep when it is profitable to him. But his watching cannot hurt these perfect souls, for he cannot stand the heat of their charity, nor the fragrance of their soul's union with me the sea of peace. No, the soul cannot be tricked so long as she remains united with me, so the devil flees like a fly from a boiling cauldron, because he is afraid of the fire. If the soul were lukewarm, he would enter fearlessly. Though often enough he perishes there, when he finds it hotter than he had imagined. So it happens with the soul when she first reaches perfection. The devil comes in because she seems, to him, to be lukewarm, with different sorts of temptations. But if the soul has the least bit of knowledge and heat and hatred of sin, she resists him, binding her will steadfast with the chains of hatred for sin and love for virtue. So what God is saying here is, If you are lukewarm, in other words, if you're indifferent, if you don't really care one way or the other, that's when the devil can control you. He can come in and make you sleep when it is profitable to him. In other words, he can make you unaware. He can make you blind to what's really going on. He can make you not care about the sins. He can make you blind to them. Even more than you were before. So it's not good for you to say, well, it doesn't really matter. They're going to do what they want anyway. It's kind of like, sinner's going to sin. Same as, hater's going to hate. What does it matter to me? It's exactly where the devil wants you to be. It's not okay for you to not care. What you shouldn't do is judge. What you shouldn't do is say, well, because so-and-so is committing this or that sin, they're just going to go to hell, so it doesn't really matter. You don't know that. The only time we can say with confidence that a person very likely would go to hell is when they die in a state of unrepentant sin when they go to their deathbed completely unrepentant of their sins. That is the only time we can say, well, that person most likely went to hell. 
But if you do not know how they died, if you don't know what state they died in, especially if it's somebody who's sinning right now, and you don't know what's going to happen between now and the time that they die, you can't make that judgment. But at the same time, you shouldn't say, well, sinner's going to hint. Sin. Sinner's going to sin. Just like hater's going to hate. You should care. Charity would make you care about their salvation. So now you shouldn't just sit around and, and cry all day about it. But the weeping is a symbol for the sorrow. Okay. When he says you're going to weep over their sins, it means you feel sorrow. All right. And if you feel like, well, I got to do something besides just feel bad about it or besides just pray for them. Praying is good, but I feel like I got to do something more. Here's something that Catherine of Siena did for sinners. This is a letter she wrote to her confessor, Raymond of Capua, about a young man she knew named Niccolo di Toldo. He was condemned to death. Here's what she says. In the name of Jesus Christ, crucified, and of gentle Mary, most loved Father and dearest Son in Jesus Christ, I, Catherine, servant and slave of the servants of God, write and commend myself to you in the precious blood of the Son of God, desiring to see you plunged and drowned in that sweet blood, which is fused with the fire of blazing love. I went to visit the man you know. He received such strength and consolation from my visit that he went to confession and prepared himself well. He asked me to promise, for the love of God, that I would be with him when the time of execution came. I promised, and I kept my word. So, that morning before the bell rang, I went to him, and I was greatly consoled. I took him to Mass, and he received Holy Communion, which he had never done before. His will was conformed and open to God's will. He had just one fear, namely, that he might not be strong enough when the moment came. God, in his overwhelming and burning goodness, deceived him, however, by giving him such love and affection for me in God that he did not know he did not know how to be without him he kept saying stay with me and don't leave me then i shall be fine and i shall die content he leaned his head on my breast and i sensed both tremendous joy and the fragrance of his blood not separate from the fragrance of my own blood which i hoped to shed for gentle jesus my bridegroom as my own desires increased, I felt his fear. I said, Courage, my dear brother. We shall soon be at the wedding feast. You will go there bathed in the sweet blood of God's Son and in the sweet name of Jesus. Never forget this. I shall be waiting for you at the place of execution. I waited for him at the place of execution, and as I waited, I kept praying in the presence of Mary and Catherine, virgin and martyr, before he arrived, I lay down and stretched my neck on the block, and begged Mary for the grace I wanted, namely that I might give him light and peace of heart at the moment of death, and then see him reach his goal. I was so overcome by the gentle assurance I received about this, that although a great crowd was there, I saw no one. Then he arrived, like a meek lamb, and when he saw me, he began to smile. He asked me to make the sign of the cross over him, 
So I blessed him and said, Down to the wedding feast, my gentle brother. You will soon be in everlasting life. He prostrated with great meekness, and I stretched out his neck and bent down to him, reminding him of the blood of the Lamb. His lips kept murmuring, only Jesus and Catherine. And he was still murmuring when I received his head into my hands, while my eyes were locked on the divine goodness, as I said, I will. The only way I can sum that up is in Catherine's own words. Right before she actually goes into this description, she also says to Raymond of Capua, Up, dearest father, and let us sleep no more, for I have news that will not let me rest. I have just taken a head into my hands, and have been so moved so deeply that my heart cannot grasp it, nor my tongues speak of it. No eye has seen, and no ear has heard of such a thing. She's referencing 1 Corinthians 2.9. I have news that will not let me rest. I watched a man die today, received his head into my hands. I was there with him at the moment of his execution because he wished that I be there. I watched him be reconciled to God. If you feel that praying is not enough and you want something more to do, be there with these people. Be there with them as they die. It's quite a heavy thing. We might not actually be able to be there with each one of these people, but if you can be, do it.